Hey guys, this is Erin from Roadrun Blonde, and I wanted to tell you about a new feature on ACAST that supports its artists. It's the supporter feature. Listeners to Roadrun Blonde can now donate and support the podcast. However, there's no subscription or commitment. You can just give whenever or whatever you'd like. It's completely up to you. Just find the support the show link in the show description on any episode. You can use Apple Pay or Google Pay, and it takes less than 30 seconds. You can donate anonymously, or you can add a message that I can see. As a podcaster, everything comes directly out of my pocket. I don't get paid to podcast. It's just my passion. So anything is appreciated to keep the show going. Thank you so much, guys. And now on to the show. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello and welcome to Red Rum Blonde. This is a true crime podcast. Each week... I'll explore a case, the victims, the facts, and the mystery surrounding it. Some are solved, some remain unsolved. I'm your host, Erin Fleming. In the spring of 2013, a beloved neurological researcher returned to her home in Pittsburgh after a very long day at work. Shortly after getting home, She collapsed on the floor, unresponsive and moaning in pain. Her husband, also a neurologist, called 911, saying he thought his wife was having a stroke. She was then rushed back to the same hospital where she worked that day. The staff was at a loss over what was causing her ailment. Sadly, after a few days, she succumbed to death. Her blood work came back showing lethal doses of cyanide in her system yet her husband claims it was a natural death. So what really caused this doctor to die? This week, I'll explore the case of Dr. Autumn Klein. When I first moved to Pittsburgh, this had just happened. I didn't have cable and missed all the local news about the case, although I do know it made national news. And normally I'm not very interested in poisoning cases, but this one is very unusual. The couple involved were highly prominent doctors at the prestigious UPMC hospital here in the city. So just not your average case of someone knocking someone off for insurance money. Let's start off by going through what happened that night. Dr. Autumn Klein just finished a 15-hour shift on Wednesday, April 17, 2013, at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center Presbyterian 
or UPMC as it's known. She worked close enough so that she could walk the distance to the home she shared with her young daughter, Sianna, and her husband, Robert Ferrante. Both Bob and Autumn were neurological researchers there at UPMC. Shortly after arriving home, Bob had to make a call to 911. His wife had collapsed on the kitchen floor. She was unresponsive and making an awful moaning noise. He told the dispatcher that he suspected his wife was having a stroke. There was no other reason why a healthy 41-year-old woman would be in such distress. Paramedics arrived after a few minutes, and Bob recounted how she'd come home with a headache and then just collapsed. The paramedics wondered about a bag of white powder on the counter, and Bob explained that it was creatine. A doctor friend suggested that Autumn try it. The couple was trying to have a second child to no avail, and they had done everything, most recently involving in vitro fertilization and taking hormones. So now they were exploring the use of creatine for infertility. And she had made a shake. She'd barely had time to drink that shake and settle in before she collapsed. Autumn Klein was quickly rushed to the emergency room of the hospital she'd just come from earlier. And her condition wasn't good. She had a glassy look in her eyes, very low blood pressure, and her breathing was shallow. Each minute, her condition seemed to decline. After being hooked to an IV drip and a ventilator to breathe, the staff quickly got to work, trying to determine what was ailing their fellow doctor. But the mystery illness was eluding them. So far, no one had a very discernible solution. Once again, they asked her husband to recount the events of the night, trying to get a grip on what was happening. She came home with a headache. She'd been having headaches for a while. She grabbed her head and she fell to the floor. So this could be anything from a stroke to a brain hemorrhage. You can't fix a patient if you don't know what's ailing them. So the doctors ordered the usual tests, CT scans and blood work. Epinephrine had to be administered to her heart while the tests were being done to keep her alive. And when the blood was taken, it was a very unusual color, a bright neon red. But all the scans came back normal. No one could figure out what was going on. The only thing they did know was that her blood pressure was very low, and her cells were unable to use the oxygen in her blood. And then things got a lot worse. She went into cardiac arrest. After a few tense moments, they regained a pulse, but it was difficult to keep her stable. The team resorted to using a somewhat dangerous procedure, where they would take the blood from her body, oxygenate it, and then return it back to her. Her vitals were not good, and the prognosis was not positive. Her parents were notified that they should make the long drive from Maryland to see her. Their daughter probably wouldn't live much longer. Autumn had already made it clear that she didn't want to ever be in any kind of vegetative state. Being a doctor, and especially one dealing with neurological issues, she had thought about it and what she would want if she were ever in this type of situation. Her husband also insisted on going through with donating her organs, even though it would keep an autopsy from being properly performed. It was what she would have wanted, he insisted. Autumn's mother, Lois, was livid, 
and she wanted to know what befell her daughter. Autumn's family gathered at her bedside, and this included her six-year-old daughter. She suspected that her mother wasn't going to come back to normal. And after a couple of days, Autumn was indeed taken off life support. Autumn Klein was pronounced dead on April 20th at 12.31 p.m. So this much we know about the night she collapsed and the days after. But let's go into a bit of who she was before we return to the mystery of her death, which gets a lot more interesting. Autumn Marie Klein was born on November 30, 1971 in Baltimore, Maryland, the only child to Lois and Bill Klein. Autumn always excelled in school. She was a bright girl who loved to learn. She was at top of her class in high school and then received a graduate degree in neuroscience at Amherst. It was a very difficult program that she went through. Only about a dozen students majored in it each year. It was notoriously hard. After Amherst, she headed to Boston University, despite the objections of her mother. Autumn was determined, though. Her close cousin, Sharon King, wasn't surprised. The two girls had been thick as thieves growing up and had stayed close their whole lives. Autumn had expressed an interest in medicine very early on in life. And while at Boston University, Autumn met and fell in love with a fellow researcher, a colleague named Robert Ferrante. And that was another development her mother wasn't too thrilled about. Although Ferrante was an outstanding researcher in neuroscience, he was more than 20 years her senior and was divorced with two grown children. Once again, despite the objections of her mother, Autumn forged ahead, marrying Bob two days before graduation. While Bob continued his work, he was a researcher for diseases like Lou Gehrig's and Huntington's disease, and he tried to search for possible cures. Autumn became a specialist in neurological problems in women after graduating magnum cum laude from Boston University. And it wasn't long before the couple was blessed with the birth of their daughter, Sianna Sophia Marie Ferrante, and that was in 2007. One would think that this might slow Autumn down, but she took motherhood in stride. Getting up at 2 a.m. for a feeding was no different to her than making an emergency call for a patient, recalls her cousin Sharon. So after some time, Autumn wanted more out of her career, and Pittsburgh gave her an offer that she would jump at, her own department for women's neurology at UPMC. And Bob could also make the move and bring his entire $3 million research lab that was currently in Veterans Administration Medical Building in Bedford, Massachusetts, all the way to UPMC in Oakland. The lab he had had nine active grants for experiments for treatment of Huntington's and other neurological diseases like ALS. Autumn's salary was tripled, and she was now running her own program. Her patient roster was huge, and they loved her. And she loved Pittsburgh. She was quoted as saying, I like the easier lifestyle here. A bit different in that every other person is not some big shot somebody or other. But I kind of like that. I get tired of the overprivileged. I feel like I deal with real people, real issues here. The move was very beneficial. The couple was able to purchase a $500,000 home a few minutes from the hospital. And not long after settling into the, her new position, 
Autumn decided she was ready to have another baby. So how did this enterprising doctor go from heading her own department and wanting to grow her family to collapsing and being taken off life support only two years later? This would be up to the medical examiner to decide. And that job fell to forensic pathologist Dr. Luke Likasevic. Some of her organs had already been donated, which left parts of her disarray. Her heart was initially going to be taken also, but was rejected because there was thought to be black lesions visible on it. However, those were simply lift nodes. And her heart was just left laying in her chest, cut out in a very sloppy manner. Dr. Lukasevic didn't find anything unusual with her organs, other than an abnormally shaped heart valve. But he determined that wouldn't have caused much trouble, and most certainly didn't cause her death. So he too was very perplexed. The cause of death was listed as pending. It was a mystery until a few days later when the blood work he sent out returned. A lethal dose of cyanide was found in her blood, measuring 3.4 milligrams per liter. This man had performed over 3,500 autopsies, and this was the first one of cyanide he had ever seen. But of course, Dr. Lukasevic wanted to confirm the test by having another one performed. And even though it was only Tuesday and she had died on Sunday, he was too late. That same day, her body had been cremated. But luckily, the medical examiner still had some blood samples that were taken at the hospital. The toxicology department was going to have to do their own cyanide test. Alicia Smith performed that duty, and it didn't take long for her to confirm the results, which were positive for cyanide. At this point, the police were notified that this was either a suicide or a murder. Homicide detective Jim McGee was notified of this suspicious death, and joining him was his partner, Robert Provident. Both men were 25-year veterans of the force. Working with them were detectives Hal Bolin and Harry Lutton, so surely somehow all of them could get to the bottom of this. They decided to talk to Bob Ferrante at the couple's home, and after informing him that cyanide was found in her system, Bob said, why would she do that to herself? Which to me is a really odd reaction. He told the men of how she'd been trying to get pregnant, using fertility drugs and in vitro fertilization, but unsuccessfully. And she'd been distressed about it, of course. The detectives collected some of her medications, a couple of hairbrushes, and the bag of creatine that Bob had used that fateful night to make her drink. First, the detectives wanted to determine if this death was perhaps a suicide. Could Autumn have gotten her hands on cyanide at the hospital? So they went over security footage at UPMC, and Autumn was found on the footage. You can see her riding the escalator and then getting off. But there was a six-minute delay before she returned back to the escalator. They wondered if those six minutes were spent obtaining cyanide. However, after some checking, they determined that she would have needed an access card to get into the area containing such toxins. In fact, no swipes were made at that time at all. And after talking to her colleagues, they realized that suicide wasn't a probability. She had new projects on board. She was planning a vacation, and she was still determined to have another baby, despite the odds. 
there simply was no motive for suicide. The spotlight then fell on Robert Ferrante. I mean, the husband is always the first suspect anyways. Did he use cyanide at his lab? Mice were routinely killed there. After talking to his colleagues, though, they found that cyanide was not used at his lab. By this time, the detectives had consulted with Assistant District Attorney Lisa Pellegrini about the case, and she told them to gather everything they had and that they would go over it a week later. But it wasn't long before the suspicious death hit the news. Someone had leaked it to the media, and they were all over it. It would mean the team would have to work a lot quicker and harder. A search warrant was used to collect evidence from the home of Ferrante and his wife. In addition, one was used to also get evidence from his lab and his office. There they found a receipt for an overnight delivery for a bottle of potassium cyanide. A lab employee said that Dr. Ferrante wanted it delivered overnight for use in the lab, and his thumbprint was even on the bottle. And the bottle was ordered only two days before Autumn's collapse. Building a case like this, however, takes a lot of time. Before charges are made, evidence has to be collected. In this case, it took clear until July before headway was made. Dr. Todd Lukasevic changed the cause of death from pending to now homicide. Detectives were ready to issue an arrest warrant. The problem was, Ferrante was now in Florida staying with his sister Diane and his daughter Sianna. Worried that he might try to flee, Detectives Lutton and Provident headed for Florida, and the trip was paid for by Autumn's parents, who had gotten an emergency custody order to have Sianna live with them. But as soon as the plane touched down, they learned that Bob had already headed back to Pittsburgh after getting word from his lawyer about the arrest warrant. They continued with getting the proper custody of Autumn's daughter to her parents. Ferrante was indeed headed back to Pittsburgh to turn himself in when he was pulled over in West Virginia. They'd been notified of his license and car description. And I'll be the first to tell you, if you're traveling through West Virginia, watch your speed, watch your everything. There are cops everywhere, and they love to pull people over. Whether it be your speed, no seatbelt, not coming to a full stop, expired tags, or whatever, they will pull you over. So it's no surprise at all to me that they apprehended him in that state. The motive was Robert Ferrante thought his wife was being unfaithful, and in the affidavit it was concluded that Autumn had planned to leave her husband. There were also several witnesses that would testify about Bob's odd behavior while Autumn was at the hospital. One witness said his reaction seemed fake or like bad acting. This person had never seen anyone act like him in all their years of working at the hospital. He even spoke about his wife in the past tense well before she was taken off life support. And there was another witness who spoke to him about an autopsy being performed. Bob mentioned something about not thinking one would help find the cause of death because toxins would have been washed out of her blood. I mean, what a weird remark to make. It was also noted that he initially told the 911 operator that he wanted his wife taken to UPMC Shadyside, and this was a hospital farther away, but he said he wanted that one so that her parents could see her. While her parents weren't in nearby Shadyside, they were all the way in Baltimore, Maryland. So what was he talking about? 
and according to texts retrieved from the couple's phones, there was a discussion of the creatine he'd used in her drink that night. She texted to him, I ovulate tomorrow, and he responded back with, perfect timing, creatine, smiley face. There were 8.3 grams of cyanide missing from the container that he ordered. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. For his lab. The trial would begin about a year and a half later, Bob Ferrante would be represented by William Diffendender, and he was one of the best criminal defense attorneys in Pittsburgh, and Will- Wendy Williams, also a skilled defense attorney, not the Wendy Williams we're thinking of. They would be pitted against Elisa Pellegrini, who was a very tough attorney with a record for winning, so it would be an interesting court case. Media coverage went na- nationwide, being featured on CNN, ABC News, and other well-known outlets. An interesting fact was discovered during the pretrial process. Investigators had found that Bob Ferrante had done a significant amount of research with another neurotoxin, one called 3-NP3 for short, or 3-nitropropionic acid. It's a mitochondrial toxin, that produces striatal or motor system alterations in rats that are similar to those in the brain of Huntington's disease patients. So it was obviously that he'd used this substance previously in his work. It's very toxic to humans and causes cell death. Dr. Jean-Ho Kim, Ferrante's research assistant, said that this neurotoxin could, quote, make someone appear tired and sick as it inhibits mitochondria at a cellular level. He recalled in March and April, Bob had asked him to order new dose three different times because the bottle they had in the lab had lost its potency, according to him. Kim remembers thinking that that was really strange. Ferrante also claimed to have loaned the 3NP to another professor at the university by the name of Dr. Dixon and claimed that the doctor later returned it. Dr. Kim remembers seeing Autumn the day she collapsed. She looked ill, so much so that he asked her twice if she felt all right. The prosecution wondered if Bob had, in fact, been secretly dosing her with a 3NP, and when it wasn't doing the job, then moved on to potassium cyanide. Unfortunately, no lab had the ability to test for the 3NP. The crux of the prosecution would rely on the evidence of cyanide poisoning, followed up with any kind of electronic evidence like emails and texts. 
but the prosecution had the odds stacked against them. The defense had a very secret weapon. Dr. Cyril Wecht would be testifying for them. And if you're not familiar, Wecht is a world-renowned forensic pathologist, and he had worked on such high-profile cases as the deaths of Elvis Presley and John Bonnet Ramsey. Many people don't like him because he seems to, you know, have a bit of an ego or be a bit arrogant. But many in the true crime world know he's very on point. He knows what he's doing. And although many may be divided on their opinion of him, he's incredibly well-respected. I mentioned him quite a few times on other episodes. Most recently, I mentioned that he's been acquired by the family of Dakota James. He's the young man who disappeared in the Pittsburgh area and was found dead later, a supposed victim of drowning. Getting Weck to testify in your case would be like, I don't know, having Kanye West produce your album. He's going to bring a lot of press, clout, and attention to what he does and everything concerning it. So Weck's testimony to a Pittsburgh jury could be the defense's golden ticket. The trial began on October 23, 2014, with a jury of eight men and four women, and Judge Jeffrey Manning presiding. In the judge's opinion, the trial could have gone either way. He couldn't predict an outcome. Prosecutor Lisa Pellegrini's case would be that Robert Ferrante was an obsessed, jealous man about to be dumped by his successful wife. He would lose his wife, child, and many of his assets in a divorce. Bob had emotionally checked out of the marriage and had zero interest in having another child. He wanted rid of his wife. The defense would argue that their client was the opposite. He was a loving husband and father, a brilliant researcher. All men had moments of jealousy, and Bob admittedly so, but he loved his wife. They would contend that her death was due to something other than cyanide, and that the state's evidence wasn't solid. The judge explained to the jury that Ferrante faced a charge of criminal homicide. If they were to find him guilty of first-degree homicide, there would have to be evidence of premeditation intent to kill. Pellegrini's opening statement was very powerful. On April 17th of 2013, Autumn Klein was an amazing woman. She was a brilliant neurologist, a beloved and respected colleague, friend, and mother. A mother of a six-year-old daughter named Sianna, who was the light of her life. She was married to the defendant, a researcher in the field of ALS and Huntington's disease. Autumn Klein was what you would want to call a shining star. Her career and her life had a bullet right to the sky. She was unhappy with her marriage. She was married to a much older man, and they had been married for a long time. Things just weren't working. She desperately wanted another child, not so much because she was so much in love with the defendant anymore, but because she was an only child of older parents. She was always afraid that if something happened to her, Sianna would be all by herself. Pellegrini discussed how Bob grew increasingly jealous of Autumn's friend and colleague, a Dr. McElrath in San Francisco. After she returned from a conference in San Francisco, he'd actually Googled, does increased vaginal size suggest wife is having sex with another? Pretty unbelievable. However, Autumn's close cousin Sharon maintained that she never had an affair, 
her, hus- her cousin would have told her. The affair was just simply a figment of Ferrante's imagination. The jealousy was very odd because he had emotionally checked out of the marriage. And this was supported by emails and diary entries from Autumn. On February 9th of 2013, she sent this email to her husband. I hate to say it, Bob, but through this entire mess, while in body you have done your duty, you have not been there for me. Sorry I am angry about all of this, but not having another kid and your lack of interest, it is clear that you are not interested. I realize now that I have been alone in this entire emotional journey. I'm going to speak my mind, as you do, and be angry, because it means a conversation you seem to get is anger. You stink at picking up on almost all other emotions, and I am sorry. I am right now. I just cannot talk to you in person. I cannot even speak to you without getting angry. She had actually talked twice to Sharon about Bob's indifference. Sharon's husband, Jason, was a psychologist. And she had asked him to ask if Bob's reactions were normal, because she felt if compassion was a human trait, then Bob was surely lacking it. Besides the jealousy and lack of compassion was Bob's odd behavior when Autumn got sick. The attempted misdirection to a different hospital. His repeated suggestions that the illness was due to everything from the IV drugs, creatine, and even stress almost insinuating that she was ill previously and that this was the end result. The day that she was cremated, he had googled detecting cyanide poisoning and how will a coroner detect if someone is killed by cyanide. Now remember that this is before the detectives told him the supposed cause of his wife's death. Pellegrini ended her statement with, All along this defendant, this evidence will show you, thinks he is smarter than everybody. I submit to you the evidence will show that he was the one, he was one blood test away from getting away with a perfect murder. Next up came the defense. Their case hinged on that toxicology report and they contented that it was very mishandled. Diffendender said, What I first want to tell you is that the defense in this case, myself and this table, and Dr. Robert Ferrante do not accept and will never accept that Dr. Autumn Klein died from orally ingesting cyanide, and they can't prove it. He then went on, I want to scream from the top of my lungs that Autumn Klein's unbelievably unfortunate demise, that this man, this doctor, this father, this husband, had nothing to do with her hospitalization. I truly believe that when you ultimately take this case into your deliberations, you're going to agree that the reason why we're here is because of a medical laboratory named Quest giving the wrong levels of blood and a test that got this whole thing in motion. He was referring to the lab error that was initially noted the milligrams as 3.35, but later corrected it to 2.2 milligrams months later. Cyril Wecht maintained that a third lab would be needed to decide but that wasn't done. This wasn't a lethal dose in his opinion. Plus, she'd had symptoms of cardiac dysrhythmia. He cited her previous headaches and dizzy spells. All of this could cause a collapse. He even suggested that repeated use of creatine could lead to the formation of cyanide in her system. And then Robert Ferrante took the stand to testify in his own defense 
which is always a risky decision that a lot of defendants don't do in their cases. He testified that the searches the prosecution said were odd were just simply a part of his job. Cyanide was used in some lab studies. And even though he wasn't thrilled with the aspect of having another child, he supported her decision to do so. She would simply take care of the child herself. He maintained that they were a happy couple, having just returned from a family trip to Puerto Rico. Ferrante was then grilled by Pellegrini about the Google searches, the ordering of cyanide, and his rocky marriage. But he never seemed to lose his cool, and he always had an answer to counter everything. As the judge had predicted before, this case could go either way. And now it was up to the jury to decide. Did Autumn die as a result of the drugs she'd taken for infertility, leading to a problem with her heart, or was she intentionally poisoned by her husband? They deliberated for over two days before they came back with a verdict. Guilty. Robert Ferrante was found guilty of first-degree murder. Both Autumn's mother, Lois, and her cousin, Sharon, gave impact statements about their loss. Sharon wrote in a letter, This tragic murder strikes to the core of my belief that the world can be a safe place, since her life was taken in her own home, downstairs from where her daughter was sleeping. How do you believe in love and safety of trusting when the one closest to you takes your life in such a violent and diabolic manner? Those beliefs were shattered when Autumn was murdered. Lois's statement was read by Pellegrini since Lois was too nervous. She wrote, The loss of Autumn was never expected and has been extremely hard on both William and I. She was our only child and the light of our lives has now been extinguished. We used to enjoy visiting with her and the family. Now instead, we are raising her child, Sianna. There is no longer peace in our lives. Every day, something is different. He has certainly ruined our lives. And then came for the sentencing time. Judge Manning spoke directly to Ferrante. You are here today for the demand of atonement. Robert Ferrante, it is the sentence of this court that you undergo imprisonment for the period of your natural life and stand committed and be committed to the custody of the Department of Corrections for confinement. He would serve out his sentence at the State Correctional Institution in Hootsdale, Pennsylvania. He actually has to pay another inmate for protection there against shakedowns and physical violence. He's been helping other inmates as a tutor in the education department. He says he misses his daughter and his late wife, claiming, They were my life. But Bob isn't allowed to get letters sent to him by his daughter. He can only be told of their contents. And her custody is still something that has yet to be settled concretely in court. For now, she remains with Lois and Bill, Autumn's parents. And there's no way that she can truly understand what happened with her parents. Her grandparents just tried to explain that the jury found her daddy guilty and he had to go away, which she just accepted. Later on in life, she can research it for herself. And there are many articles, court transcript, transcripts, and a book called Death by Cyanide by Pamela Reed Ward. And I relied heavily upon this for this podcast episode. I also watched a very intriguing dateline entitled Lethal Weapon. 
so she can decide for herself whether she feels her father is the cause of her mother's death. Regardless, she is essentially orphaned at a young age, which is incredibly sad. You don't expect to lose two successful, intelligent parents, one to death and the other to prison. The loss of both Autumn Klein and Robert Ferrante in the medical world will have big ramifications. Ferrante was making great strides in trying to find a cure for these horrible diseases that plague millions. And Autumn's patients, women who suffer epilepsy while pregnant, will also suffer her loss. Patients have lost their dedicated doctor. I think Ferrante is guilty of his wife's death. I don't think her death was due to anything other than intentional poisoning. And I agree with the prosecution that he thought he was smarter than everyone else and thought he could get away with murder. That was the case of Dr. Autumn Klein. Thanks so much for listening. Sorry for missing a week. I'd been battling an infected tooth and it brought me down physically and in turn mentally. I was running a fever court quite a few days and the fever was hovering between like 100 and 101 but I'm back now with a new resurgence I'm working on getting some merchandise made up so I should have something soon please check out the podcast on social media join the Facebook group find me on Twitter my handle is at blonde red rum and Instagram under red rum blonde if you enjoy the podcast, please go to whatever form you listen to, whether it be Acast, iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever, and leave a five-star review. This helps the podcast get featured on those platforms and can get more listeners. Let's get the true crime word out there. I want to specifically thank some podcast hosts out there. I was feeling really down this week and wasn't even sure I wanted to continue with the podcast. I got some really great encouragement from the hosts of Corpus Delecti, Mens Rea, The Forgotten News, and Trace Evidence. Thank you for reaching out to me and listening to my woes. You guys really made me feel better and encouraged me to go on. I'm a huge fan of all these shows, so you don't even know how much this meant to me. You guys seriously rock. I can't thank you enough. And as always, thank you to everyone who listens. I do have a really great listener base. Each week, I'm just amazed that anyone tunes in and listens. I hope you enjoyed this week's case, and I'll catch you all next week. At the Coca-Cola Company, Keurig Dr. Pepper, and PepsiCo, some of our bottles can be remade in a whole new way, using 100% recycled plastic. New bottles using no new plastic, except the caps and labels. Learn more at madetoberemade.org. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.